are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Uh, real quick, before we uh, get started on the episode today, I do want to take um, just a few moments to remind everyone that we still have the contest going on for the uh, five, six-weight fly rod and reel combo. So be sure to get your rating or review or comment uh, for the podcast into iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or, or your favorite platform and also be sure to email us to let us know that you've completed your review and we'll hop out and and verify that the uh the id and the review match uh full details on the contest can be found on the website and there's also going to be a link to the rules in the show notes for this episode as well and remember we will be drawing a winner very early next week so by the time this podcast drops you'll want to be sure to get out there and get your review in asap so that you meet the deadline uh, the drawing will be uh, done at um, after the after midnight on the 14th. So that will be the cutoff for when you need to get your rating or review in. So with that, now on to the podcast. Uh, this week, we're going to pick up where we left off in episode eight in my chat with Tom about our uh, Wyoming adventures. But first, I wanted to welcome Nick back to the show from his, his turkey season and get a full report from him on, on how things went. So How's it going, Nick? How was how was turkey chasing this year? No, hey Steve, it's going good. Uh, turkey turkeys went really well. Um, we ended up not. I hunted with John Buchin, uh, as per usual. He's kind of like my turkey my turkey partner, and uh, he's really kind of showing me the ropes out there. Um, he knows where the birds are. He's a great caller. Um, the difference is that he's he's never killed a turkey with a longbow either. So we're both kind of newbies in that regard. Um, but we've, we've been having a lot of fun and, uh, we didn't end up with a bird, but we got close and, you know, in our case, you know, close really does count, uh, in this game, the way we're doing it. We, we didn't use, we didn't use a blind. We basically, it was basically a running gun situation, but with longbows and, uh, we carry a couple deeks and John's vest and, if we get there in time to set them up, that's great. Uh, most of the time we find that we'd rather not, you know, we just kind of call and, um, we basically scrape together cover or, or put a stalk on, you know, but it's all done naturally. We don't, we don't ever set anything up partially because we're on public land and, um, this particular piece of public land is, is pretty well hunted. There's several farm fields, private and public, one of the private fields is a farm that is um, open to the public to hunt during turkey season, and uh, we use that a little bit. We found we actually hunted a new property that um, used to be uh, private land that was opened up to public, and um, we found out we weren't the only ones that knew about it. So <laughs> there, there was that too. Um, but man, we had it. We had a couple great opportunities, and. Um, the uh, we only had a few days. We hunted together Friday, Saturday. Actually, Friday was the MLA Kids event that we did at Kellogg'sville School. So we didn't even get to hunt that day. Um, right. We dedicated that to the kids, but we put all day Thursday into it. You know, three a.m. wake up for me, meeting John out well before light at five, getting in there and getting set up and calling, finding out where everything, all the birds were off the roost, and then. Um, it was a different scenario pretty much every time we went out. So we hit Thursday, we had a break off of it. We hit Saturday morning and we hit Sunday morning. And uh, Saturday, we had a great opportunity. And I, end up ha I ended up having, uh, we had just after fly down, 
we had two jakes break from the flock. All the, all the other turkeys went north, and I mean they were hammering right at daybreak with the goblin and goblin. And uh, two two jakes actually split off because they were tired of getting beat up by the rest of the flock, and they came running right at us, setting up set it up at the base of the field. And um, we had one deke set up. John was able to get one deke out there just to, you know, get get their attention and distract them. And when they came in behind us, this is kind of a funny story because the Jake in the back, um, one of the Jakes ended up right in front of me at about 10 yards. Not even that. It was more like five yards. I could, I felt like I could have kicked this thing. I mean, it was right on the edge of the field and I couldn't do anything about it. We were, we were hunting. Um, there was a bunch of brush around this big six foot wide maple. John was on one side. I was on the other and he couldn't talk to me or see me and I couldn't talk to him or see him. So he didn't know that I had a Jake in front of me about six feet away and he was looking at the other Jake that was behind him that came running down the hill. Well, the Jakes got kind of spooked because as soon as the one Jake came, the back Jake that John was watching came running down the hill um, after fly down, this raccoon, crazy raccoon, we call him the bear raccoon, came charging down this tree. And this this raccoon was walking like it had a set on him. Like he he <laughs> he he walked like a bear, and all of a sudden I hear and it runs after this raccoon, this Jake, <laughs> and runs into the Jake's tail feathers and knocks it, and the Jake doesn't even care. And kind of, but it kind of like, he kind of looked at it. And then after that was a little bit weary and then the raccoon left, we didn't know what that was about, but that kind of set the tone for the, what happened next. So I'm sitting there with this Jake in front of me and John starts like moving around and I, and I couldn't nudge him or I couldn't just, I'm like whispering outside of my mouth, stop moving. You're going to ruin this. You're going to mess it up. Stop moving. You know, I wanted the Jake to go out into the field so I could get a shot because I could not draw. Um, he didn't even know that one was there and he went to draw on the other one. So when he actually moved to try to draw on the other one, he spooked the one in front of me and then they both took off and putted. So that opportunity was awesome, but it didn't work. The next one, we saw some turkeys in a field and, uh, we knew, we, we knew a way to get in there. And this was around 10, 11 o'clock. And John had actually called his wife, Diane for dinner or for lunch, we were going to go try to get lunch together. And um, we got out and we're like, okay, we're going to go after these turkeys. So he basically said, oh, hold on, we got turkeys. I'll call you in a minute. An hour and a half later, we were still talk- stalking these two birds <laughs> or these birds in this field. And it ended up being a really big tom circling around these two hens. And John and I were able to work up the brush line tree by tree and get up to 25 yards, get within 20, you know, 30 yards of this thing. And this huge tom. Had to have been 22 pounds. Just massive Tom, huge beard. He was working and breeding. There was like three hens there. And it actually ended with John on his hands and knees on the edge of the field with two hens within like seven yards of him and frozen because he couldn't move. And me on the other side of this bush, and I, I had to force something. I took one step too far, and that Tom picked me off at about 30 yards and decided enough was enough and went trotting back into the woods. But those hunts were just incredible. I mean, all of John's calling was answered. I mean, just waves of goblin from all over the area. Um, the big thing was just, you know, dealing with other hunters. And that's just what happens on public land. Our final set of the day 
we knew where these trees, where, where these turkeys were. They were, they had been put to bed and we set up in that same field I was talking about, but in the opposite corner, in the northern corner, because we knew that's where the turkeys were going. And um, we got back in the brush. We didn't set up on the field. And we even, I mean, it was a hunter's moon. It was super bright, but we didn't even mess with, like, we didn't turn our headlamps on. We, we worked the shadow of the field all the way around this big open field so we couldn't get seen off the roost. And we were literally set up right underneath the roosting trees. And somebody came in at daybreak and started setting up decoys and making a bunch of noise. And, you know, of course, we had to tell him, hey, we're in the back corner. He didn't care. So we got up and left. He got mad, stomped out, crunched everything, spooked all the turkeys off the roost. Um, fortunately, we had some late fly downs um, on the other side of the ridge. And the toms just were quiet. They went right into the swamp. They didn't come within 40 yards. So we figured those turkeys had been hunted pretty hard and, uh, they just weren't talking. They had been spooked the night before or that morning because of that guy, but that's just turkey hunting, man. We had, we had a, a blast, you know, again, this is the second season in a row. John and I would have tagged out with a shotgun and we thought about it real hard <laughs> afterwards, right. but it was, worth- I know you had said something about, you thought about taking it to last. Well, and I was going to, but I had shot it in a year. So I was like, you know, I don't really want to deal with this. And John said, if I, you know, if John would have decided to go with his shotgun, that would have been a better situation. But we might have to think about it real hard next year, just because like maybe we, you know, we, we start off with the bow, but the last day we hit it with the shotgun. Yeah, you know, I, I, can, I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah. And you know what? It would, the thing is, is it would have been just as fun. I mean, sure, absolutely. turkey hunting, you're doing all the work. I mean, with turkey hunting, it's not really about the weapon you're using because you're, you're doing all the work ahead of time. I mean, it's such right. a strategic game that I can appreciate a turkey kill with anything except for maybe a rifle at 300 yards or, you know, something like that. That's a different right. situation. That's more of like you're killing it because you just want it and it's a nuisance or something. But the... um if you're just doing traditional shotgun, like I could have easily had a shotgun on my knee when that Jake was there and had a bird. I mean, even then I would have had to cross the shotgun to my right knee or to cross my cross the shotgun to get a shot. And that would have been hard. Um, but that's why turkey hunting's great. I mean, they're, they're not the most intelligent of birds, but their instincts are just great and they can see everything. And it's just a lot of fun. And I'm telling you, I, I know that I will love elk hunting someday, and hearing, I mean, a gobble in the morning is the closest thing I've ever gotten to an elk bugling in the right. morning, you know. And when you're dealing with a frost and and a beautiful morning and you've got that that uh, gobble cuts, you know, or an owl. We had an owl the first the first night we went, or the first day we went, Thursday, we had an owl uh, sound off and we got a shot gobble. And that was, you always get your, you know, kind of your cackles up when you hear that. You know, that gets you really excited. Um, but yeah, man. I'll take you, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it's just not, it's just not, uh, like I've said before, I've tried it. It doesn't, it doesn't get me excited. Although I did. Um, so instead this year, I, I, I drug all of my, my flag fishing gear out, dust, knocked the dust off of all that, sat down and, and actually tied up a bunch of flies and, I got out, uh, what, three or four times now, um, 
in the last few weeks, you know, while, while people were chasing turkeys, I was hitting the streams fly fishing and, and I'll be honest, I've had a, I've had a blast except for the fact that I discovered my, my, my waders had, had been sitting too long, I guess. And now they've started leaking. So I've spent the last week and a half with, um, aqua seal trying to, trying to get these things to stop to stop leaking oh. but it may be a it may be a lot i'd calls. imagine that's a fun guessing game to play <laughs> well you know the only what the way i'm doing it is I've, I've turned them inside out and i'm filling up the the legs with water so that it builds up the pressure from from the what was now the inside because it turned inside out and i just take a, a sharpie and mark the little places where i'm seeing water seep through and and I'm getting. I just want to. I, I, I want to get to the point where they'll make it through the through the summer, and then maybe I'll buy another another pair this this fall or winter. But um, now it's it's so warm here. You don't really you don't really even need them unless you're fishing some areas like the uh, the tailwater, the the Chattahoochee River is just mm-hmm. right below Lake Lanier. Is man, that water is cold. It's cold in August. Oh, geez, so. I can't even imagine. I do have one more thing I wanted to add there. I kind of had a little. Uh, little MacGyver move I'm quite proud of when when we were doing <laughs> so I know better than a turkey hunt with bright fletching I I know better but the last day I wanted to hunt with those Ted Judson arrows those green and yellow ones um that a member of the MLA that passed a couple of years ago had made and his widow had donated them to the MLA and I won them at auction and right. these cedars are beautiful and and I had to I had to hunt with them that was shooting them so well so I brought them out the last day and when we had that stock I had him on my on my bow quiver. Well, I usually unstrap my Great Northern quiver when I'm when I'm ready to hunt, you know, because I like to keep the bow in my lap, and um, that kind of gets in the way of it. Well, I I couldn't do that. I had to keep it on my bow. Well, I had that my old Kuyu mask on, and I it has holes in it. Like it's old. It's old as hell. I've had that thing for years. So I took the Kuyu face mask off and I, um, it had holes in it and I just like poked another hole in it with my knife and then like cut the laces off my pants at the bottom and then like made a hood and like roped it to the bottom (laughs) of my quiver. And dude, that is the only reason why I got that close to those birds. If I'd have had that quiver on that bow the whole time, I'd have been picked off 20 years or 20 yards before that. And, uh, Though the last thing I will say about this, John and I kind of jumped the gun. It, th- this is why spot and stalking turkeys is so hard. Um, those hens were feeding towards us. The, tur- the turkey started off about 65 yards away. Those hens were feeding toward us. And he was circling the hens because he wanted to breed them. So he kept getting closer and he looked ridiculous because he was strutting for at least an hour. And total you know and he was circling these birds and he kept moving closer to us closer to us closer to us and gradual had we made up more ground at the beginning and then you know slow down at the end we'd have got a bird because he was feeding right to us so we had already made a mistake but i thought we recovered pretty well and we had a great time so so anyway man that was that was my uh that was my that was my time in in the woods and and i understand you got a great interview coming up here uh, yes, we, we're finishing up. So while you were out chasing turkeys, we uh, I recorded uh, with with Tom Jurgensen a couple of um, a couple of times. Uh, it really just took two 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 sessions to to kind of catch up on our 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 Wyoming antelope trip back in 2016, and we we got through our uh, we got through our 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 bucks on opening day. 
and then uh, we kind of get into the the rest of that trip and some of the some of the other adventures that we we managed to get into while we were while we were out there for a week, um, as well as uh, I'm, I think we we also get into our plans for um, this year of going back for for mule deer. Awesome. Well, I loved episode one, and I can't wait to hear you guys talk for episode two. Well, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And glad to have you back. And with that, we'll. Uh, We'll just kind of flip over and pick up that that conversation where it was uh, when Tom and I sat down that second time. So great to have you back, Nick. Thanks, Steve. How's it going, Tom? It's going great. How, how are you doing these days? Uh, you know, I'm actually doing doing really good. Um, we've got uh, so spring has has definitely sprung here in in Georgia. Our our turkey season has has started up. Uh, I think you know I'm not a huge uh, turkey hunter, but I've got. Uh, you know, three three D shoots going on, and I'm I'm probably going to try to slip out and get in the woods uh, at least once or twice. Really, more for for looking for some wild hogs on some Georgia public land than than turkeys. But you know what? Hey, I, at least I'm out there, right? Um, mm-hmm. The trees have have started getting green here. We've got, uh, I mean, we're we're averaging most days in the 60s and 70s. So. Yeah, uh, things are good with me. Is it? Is it still you? You still getting any snow up where you're at? Yeah, I got a couple inches today, but uh, that's all right. We had some. We had some bad thunderstorms, some rough weather. Weather early, early, early this morning. It woke me up for about two seconds, and I went right back to sleep. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's no no sign of snow here. I think we're we're pretty much out of the woods in that regard down here. So I I feel for you, brother. Well, we're we're coming up on you know it's kind of considered our uh, traditional trout opener, uh, third Saturday of April. Uh, it's not too far out, and uh, I don't know. It's kind of putting a, a hampering on that idea. You know, kind of like kind of like an, a fair a fair spring day for that uh, event. So hopefully it warms up a little bit. Uh, turkeys, people are getting pretty excited about that. That'll be kicking off here before too long. I'm at the range tonight working on a new arrow, so I'll be focusing all my uh, attention on getting back down for hogs again before too long. So I met a, a heck of a boar out in the woods, and uh, <laughs> we had a little experience. I, I, w- I want to get back out there and get after him, so getting my stuff ready for that. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the, the trout fishing, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the right catalyst. I really want to get out there again, but it's, I've, I've, you know, there's just, I have so many different things that I've got kind of going on and I, I keep finding excuses. However, I'll give you a, a little, a little insight here. I, 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 I committed to it last night. You know, I, I, I talked to you a while back, um, about my desire to, uh, to have a, a two weight set up which mm-hmm. i've wanted for quite some time and i was looking at um have you ever have you ever had any dealings with uh, cheeky reels fly reels no so I, I ran into them online and i've actually been looking at them and they they look they look really nice and look to be a a, a really good price so i, I threw a uh question out on the one of the fly fishing communities on facebook and just said you know is anybody um used one of these reels and I, I think the the rod i threw out there that i was thinking about pairing it with is a was one of the moonshine rod company rods and 
just to see what you know anybody have to say. And as it turns out, some uh, one one person responded and said they had a two weight, um, and they would consider letting go of it because they really enjoy and use a three weight more. Uh, well, somehow I committed to buy this thing, so. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a, um, it's a custom, um, modern fiberglass seven foot two weight paired with a, and this is what's going to really get at you if you're, if you're like me and get excited about such things, but it's got an able, uh, TR one reel on it. So, and it's already filled with weight forward two weight lines. So I think think once i get my hand on that i'll probably get a real strong itch to hit a stream so um it's a it's a ways out i worked out a deal with a guy where he's not in a hurry and luckily for me i'm not in a hurry to 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 fork over the money so he's gonna let me let me spread it out over a little bit of time but uh yeah i'm, I'm kind of excited about that one so oh nice one yeah well i so, just uh picked up my new reel for my three weight uh, I'd had a reel off of a five weight on it, so the balance was all off for years, and uh, new backing in line and all that, of course. So, yeah, I'm ready. I just need the weather to break. So, unfortunately, I've got the weather. I've got to make. I've got to make my schedule break, but I will make that happen. So, so let's. Um, we we kind of left. Uh, we kind of left everybody hanging the last time you and I were were. Uh, we're doing one of these together with um, about 11 o'clock a.m. on opening day and yeah we <laughs> and we had we got our we got our our both of us had our bucks on the ground um uh i know uh and i'm uh, not going to go into a lot of details on that but it would end up taking me the full three days that we had to to get uh to get my dough on the ground i, I not for lack of opportunities i i think my total for that for that three days was 250 some antelope. If I remember correctly, what I'd actually jotted down in my journal, but I didn't drop the string on my dough until the last day and actually shot my dough from your blind that you had taken your, your buck from. True. Um, True. I think you really want to get your money's worth out of that license. (laughs) I did. I I, I really wanted to get my, (laughs) my money's worth out of the, the, the whole experience of, of hunting antelope. Um, but I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead because I know there was a there was a little side story that you wanted to that you wanted to tell everybody out. There was, I guess, a, a little bit of humor poked in my way. Um, but I'll let you tell it from Tom's perspective. Well, let me tell you about the bravest man I've ever known. <laughs> so, got these wall tents out in the prairie, and. I wake up uh, that first morning, and uh, alarms are going off, and you can hear it from the other tents around. And we got a, one or two going off in our on our tent, and <laughs> pitch black, dark, <laughs> dark. Oh yeah, well, it's a couple hours before light at this point. And I said something to you like, uh, "Hey, my headlamp's on the." You know, table between the bunks. I'm like, hey, I got a headlamp right there if you want to grab it. Nope, got it. Jump out of bed. <laughs> you're doing whatever you're doing, you know, getting getting ready to start the day. And 
Look, Eventually I, 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 get I have no problem saying, I mean, I'll be honest, I had had consumed a lot of water the day before, and I had to, <laughs> I had to lose some water <laughs> yeah. quickly. So now fast forward another day, and <laughs> alarm goes off, and uh, like, hey man, the light's right there. Nope, oh, be right back. <laughs> and uh, jump out of bed and off you go. Third day, I said, you know, someday, Steve, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna tell the world about the bravest man I've ever known. What are you talking about? I said, man, I would not jump out of bunk down onto the ground without shining a flashlight to check for rattlesnakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Oh, Lori's going to kill me anyway. But anyway, uh, in the third morning, <laughs> while you were off hunting your, your, your pronghorn doe, they end up killing a, a rattlesnake, I don't know, maybe and 10 it, feet from the corner of that tent. And it wasn't a little one either. Oh, it was a big one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is clear nights, it was cold out and they'd be down their hole or something like, you know, the chances of stepping on one was pretty slim, but still it was, uh, I thought a good educational opportunity, uh, for you to remember that, uh, there's other critters out there too. So, yeah. And, and I will make it known that on the, the fourth morning, the morning that we had to leave, I did not jump up and run out of the, out of the, out of the wall tent without a, without a headlamp. So, uh, I can be taught. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's good. And you're, you're, and you're right. It was, it was surprisingly cool at night. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously people that are, that, that are from out West or have been out West, this isn't going to come as a surprise, but it's really amazing how cool it can be at night and how quickly it gets hot once the sun breaks the horizon. I think I said that the the last time we were, we were talking about this, but, um, like I, like I said, I didn't have a problem grabbing the, the headlamp the last morning after the rattlesnake was killed in camp. I also have no problem admitting when I shot my, when I shot my pronghorn buck, it's the only animal I believe I've ever taken in my life that I was actually in my underwear. I mean, it, it, it the only way you could survive in that, in, and you were hunting a blind similar to mine. It was the, the, um, um, where they basically cut a water trough and, and put a, a, a lid on it. So you're in this big metal box. Um, and I, I think both of us had pretty much planned out our, our hunting clothes were, uh, black compression long sleeve shirts and, and black underwear and black shorts. And dude, anything I could lose in that, in that tin, I, I mean, in that blind, I lost, it was hot. Um, yeah. so yeah. Um, yes. okay. So we're, we're, we, we, we have our, we have our antelopes and, and we've survived the, the, the rattlesnakes in camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that, that morning we, we, we actually left camp. Uh, the first thing that we did was went straight to, um, was it Sportsman's Warehouse? Was that the, yep. Wasn't that the store that was in Casper? Um, 
But before Bonar, that, before that, we had ahead. our uh, uh, badger in camp. So we had those mule deer that were in camp. We had the pronghorn there at the edge of camp, and then we had that uh, that badger right behind the shower. Remember that? I don't. I, no, I don't. I don't. I don't remember that at all. I remember the the kit foxes. Um, yeah. And I remember we saw another badger going out to the blind one morning, but I don't remember the badger in camp. I don't think anybody told me about this one. Really? I couldn't I got pictures of it. Yeah, that's right. Right. So I went over to get a, uh, a shower before we hit the road. And, uh, yeah, I was in a, drinking out of a mud puddle right behind the, uh, the shower house. I got a couple of good pictures of it real close. Oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. I don't think I've ever even seen those pictures. You'll have to, you'll have to dig those up yeah. and share them with me. Cause uh, I'll send them to you. I missed, I missed that story somehow, but we, uh, so we, we load up, we load up the goat hauler <laughs> and yeah. we, we head into Casper. I think that was the first, uh, we, we actually went and grabbed a bite to eat at a, uh, I don't know, a Denny's or something like that. Um, you're right. Yeah. It was a Denny's man. Good memory. And then we hit, uh, we hit, we hit sportsman's warehouse and we, we bought our, we bought a, uh, fishing license, trout license. Yep. Um, we were, we were considering, and you had, you had brought your, um, your canvas tent. So we were, we were mm-hmm. contemplating even setting up somewhere on national forest land for uh, a night or two. Uh, so we, I remember we were looking for, uh, headgear to keep our heads warm because we had already figured out that it was going to be cooler than what we'd been accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. August it, I, 19th. Uh, yeah. yeah August 19th. Yep. yep. And, and I remember walking around the store and looking at all the antelope that just three days, four days ahead of that. I was thinking, wow, look at all these big antelope. And they didn't look as large anymore is the one thing I remember. <laughs> did, did, did you have that or no? Yeah, no, that, that, yeah, definitely. I mean, that, we, we so lucked out. We had a great year. We had a great draw. We were in the right place at the right time. Um, a lot of hunting is putting in a lot of hours and then just being super lucky and I, we, we planned well, but we also, you know, we were in the right place at the right time and yeah, we were, we, we totally lucked out and yeah, looking around that place, uh, grand animals, you know, for sure. Um, and including, including some incredible ones. I mean, there was probably some bucks pushing 80 inches, but, um, a lot of them weren't, we we managed to see a, a few very respectable muleys while we were out there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that first morning riding out to the blind. We there were two that were they were big. I think I think Cody said one of them was probably pushing one sixty. I mean, they were nice. They were nice mule deer. Yep. Yeah, beautiful animals. So. I, I, we, so we left, we left camp and I remember, so I guess I should give a little background here before we go into this, this next story. Cause I get to poke a little fun at Tom now, but, um, <laughs> so, so we drove, so I drove from Georgia to Indianapolis. You drove, drove from Michigan to Indianapolis. And then we, 
we teamed up and we drove um, from there to Casper, Wyoming. And the the the, the short story version of the story, so we can come back to it. We ended up driving up through uh, the Bighorns into Montana, um, through the the uh, Badlands, uh, Black Hills, and drove our way back. And the, the reason I'm telling you is that we kind of tag teamed that driving. So I think we were something like four hours. One would drive for four hours, and then we'd stop somewhere and we'd switch and so forth. So it was a very pleasant drive. We, I don't think either one of us ever really got, the only time I can ever remember getting tired of driving was that one night that we were trying to get to Mitchell. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, on our, on our way back. But at that point, I think we knew the adventure was over and that, that was, that made the drive seem worse than it really was. But, but so now I got to come back to the drive from Indianapolis to, basically to Casper. Um, Tom had a little town in, in, uh, I guess it's, that's, is that in, was that in Montana or Wyoming? Wyoming. Wyoming. Right. Um, that I heard, and I'd never heard of this town before, a little town called Tinsleep, which I've actually heard several times since then, which is really odd because it's a population of what? 75. (laughs) Pretty small. But, um, so Tom, I, over the course of this, this 20 hours that I've sat in the car with Tom, you know, I've heard everything about 10 sleep, why he wants to see it, why it's named 10 sleep and, and so forth. So we had a, we had a destination when we left, uh, camp from Antelope, but we really didn't have a plan necessarily on getting there. We, we had our fly rods, we had our flies. Now we had a fishing license and, we were going to drive up through, um, up to and through the Bighorn Mountains to get to this town of Tinsley. Mm-hmm. Um, what could go wrong? Oh well, yeah, yeah. What could well? And luckily, nothing really went wrong. But so here's what I've learned is two two warning indicators. One is when Tom pulls out his gadgeteer atlas book and two is when he says i think i found a shortcut <laughs> <laughs> so you, <laughs> uh-huh. we we saw some beautiful company country driving up through through the big horns it was i remember it was cloudy it was a little bit of it was rainy um and i know we we kept hoping to see um bighorn sheep uh which we we didn't we did manage to see some mule deer but I can't remember the the entire path. I do remember we were on a uh, a really nice gravel road for probably twenty to thirty miles. We stopped and, and took a few pictures of the of the goat hauler out in the middle of the prairie. There is nothing. There's nothing out here. Every <laughs> every now and then, up on one of the buttes, you'd see the the where they stacked the rocks. Um, uh, and I, I you know I'm not sure if those are for marking boundaries or if they're supposed to be marking some kind of, uh, trail, you know, whatever, but you could tell it was definitely, you know, man had been there, um, sometime before us, but there was just not a lot of activity. I don't think we saw a sing or met a single car, um, for that entire 20 or 30 miles. And this, this was the good road folks. Um, (laughs) 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 we pull up on, the entrance 
to the Red Gulch Alkali Road. Now, this is Tom's shortcut. <laughs> and <laughs> the first sign you see is, you know, do not do not proceed. It was something along the lines of not for the ill-prepared. I can't remember mm-hmm. the exact wording, but... Um, and then there's the signs that say high clearance vehicles only. Mm-hmm. I, you know, a minivan can qualify as a high clearance vehicle if you're comparing it to a sports car, I guess. So we spent, what do you think we spent there, Tom? Five minutes reading all the, looking at the map and reading the warning signs and looking at all those nice pictures from the 1940s of the car stuck in the mud. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, we had to really soak it in because... Uh, clearly they do not want you actually <laughs> driving on that road. Uh, some of the things had things, uh, like, um, uh, there are not, uh, tow vehicles that can get you out of here. Yep. Um, your vehicle may be here till spring, <laughs> um, which I don't know what the rental rate on that would have been, but, uh, what else was on there? High clearance there was a big one. Sli- Slippery when wet. You know, do not attempt to pass if it's raining, and it was raining at the time. Hey, I think I mentioned that it was cloudy and rainy the whole yeah. <laughs> the whole time we were driving there. Now, one thing uh, I will mention, Steve, with sufficient thrust, <laughs> a goat hauler does not necessarily not have to be a low clearance vehicle. I mean, you you can, we can you you can launch one if you have to. Well, and it's been long enough. They're not. They're not going to come after me now. So uh, that's the other good part of this. But I do remember there was there was some contemplation, and we <laughs> we, we went through our checklist. We had, uh, you know, one hundred and fifty to two hundred pounds. Well, one hundred and fifty. We'll be generous. One hundred and fifty pounds of, yeah. of fresh fresh antelope meat. <laughs> we, yeah. we had two cases of bottled water. We had a tent. We had sleeping bags. I think we rationalized through this thing and said, Hey, we're good. We're good till spring. (laughs) We're good till spring. And with that, we embarked on this journey. Now that, that road was 30, 32 miles. If I remember correctly, longest 32 32 miles ever. Yeah. it, It was a long 32 miles, but so we started out and it was, it wasn't bad. Um, and somewhere around the 12 to 15 mile mark, it really started getting, it was getting rough. And I, <laughs> I remember we were taking turns watching our cell phones to know, uh, how, how far back we would have to walk to get cell service if we needed to call for help. Um, and I remember there were a few times we, we stopped and, <laughs> and, and created a plan of attack, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, well, and then there were the times where I was like, okay, if I let off the throttle here, <laughs> this is where the goat hauler lives forever. Like it's never going to move again. And so it was that question of like, okay, well, if we get through that, and then you get to the next spot and you're like, well, we probably can't get back through what we just went through. So hopefully we'll go forward and hope it's not that bad again. And then, oh, yeah, we, and then it would get definitely- worse. Yeah, we definitely had several point of no returns that we. <laughs> I think there was four or five point of no returns. No, it probably should be said like we're healthy guys, prime of our lives, had good hiking boots. We could have walked back out. I mean, there were 
for all the really bad things that could have happened, it wasn't like we didn't know the situation we were putting ourselves in. And in a day, we could have walked 32 miles and been back out. So, I mean, it wasn't like we were in serious peril, right? I mean, I don't think we should act like we're too cavalier about the situation we were embarking. No, and I would say it, it uh, yeah, I mean, we, we had, I truly believe we had everything we needed to to survive. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, I don't know when the first snowfall occurs in that area, but it wasn't that cold. We had, we had plenty of time for something like that. Um, it was around 3 o'clock. Didn't it snow that day? It did snow that day. It, not there. It's it, we we ran into some snow after we got out of there and started going up on back up into some of the higher elevations. Okay. Um, uh, but there, no, we just had the we just had the misting the misting rain. And I remember, I want to say it was like either the second or third point of no return. It, it dawned on me, and I uh, I think I actually told you, God, I hope they don't have GPS tracking on this minivan, <laughs> since it was a rental. Uh, but we. <laughs> We saw we saw a ton of uh, mule deer. Oh yeah. Um, there was the and I can't remember was that a gold eagle? Mm-hmm. I think it was a yeah. gold eagle that we actually got the the, the photos of. Big um, one, sage close. grouse. Right, yeah. right. Um, and I don't think we ran. We didn't see any elk. And I only remember until we actually exited that red gulch. I don't. I think we encountered one other car. The whole. The whole way. So, in fact, that was a that was a jeep, and they looked at us like we'd lost our minds. Yeah. Um, well, now and rightfully, rightfully so. And just before that, I'd seen that moose. Oh yeah, that that's right. Huge that's bull right. moose picked him off at like a mile. Like the eyes were on at that point, and. Uh, <laughs> So it's an area that, I, I mean, I think the entire limited draw for a moose tag is like one. Uh, and here's this amazing, just giant bull moose. And we crushed it over, it was like another hill or two later. And we bump into that Jeep. And I'm trying to play it all cool, right? I roll the window down. They're looking at us like, what is the goat hauler doing up here? <laughs> you know, they have the, the the super ratchet jack thing, winches front and back, roof carrier. Oh, yeah, it was definitely a couple I of mean, good Jeep guys. <laughs> well, but it was loaded with hunting gear. Right. So, I mean, they that was their vehicle to get back into the backcountry. Like, hey, if I roll this over, it'll be okay. I can roll it back over and get back out. I mean, it, it, that was a serious serious endeavor for them you could tell and they so pull up we find a spot just wide enough in the road that the two cars can be side by side and i roll the window down and we're basically like mirror to mirror like looking in like i'm smelling this other guy's breath and i'm like (laughs) uh hey you know we're just driving around looking for some elk we'd like to take some pictures uh He's like, oh, so you guys aren't hunting? Like, nope, not hunting at all. You know, like trying to play it off. And the guy's so funny. He just, he looks straight down at the middle of the driver door. I forgot that you'd stuck the magnetic sticker on the door. 
Oh, for simply traditional. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hunting, fishing, articles. <laughs> <laughs> he looks at that. He looks at me he's like, so you're not hunting? Like, uh, no, we already killed the pronghorn. We're on our way home. He's like, uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah, I don't think funny. he ever bought it. Yeah. No, it was, pretty, it was funny, though. It was like. And I it, it, I had actually, I didn't, well, I didn't forget about the moose. I, I guess I forgot to bring it up just now until you did. But I remember the other. So we actually we actually got out of the the goat hauler because uh, I really wanted some really good pictures, um, and you know I don't know how close we got to that moose, but it was probably what 150 yards. Yeah, I mean we were taking the pictures. Certainly I just weren't bothering when, him. You know, he he knew we were there. We knew he was there, and there was plenty of room between us. I just remember thinking if that joker decides he's had enough of this, I don't know that we can get, I can, I don't know if I can get back to the, the goat hauler before he catches up to me. That was a, that was a big animal. I mean, it was just a really big animal. Oh yeah. Um, and probably we ended up spotting another one an hour or so later. Uh, wasn't quite as big, but it was still a very respectable moose. The second one. Yeah. yeah you saw that one. Yeah. It was a good bull. So we, <clears throat> we, um, we, we had our, our discussion with the, the elk hunters who just weren't going to give us any information at all about, about finding any elk. Um, and I, I remember it wasn't, it was just right after that when we came across that, that stream that we decided to, to stop and do a little, stop and do a little fishing. Um, right. and I managed to catch my, my first Western rainbow out of that little stream and i i don't even remember what the name of the the the, the stream was do you or maybe uh, it didn't even have a name i i truly can't recall let uh, me tell you what i do remember okay i do remember that it doesn't matter what time of year it is you guys that live in michigan have some kind of weird tolerance for for cool weather because at this point the boy from the, the the guy from Georgia has gone from a hundred plus to you know 40 degrees at night 105 during the day now we're up in these mountains and I'm still wearing shorts from leaving antelope camp and we get out and we start wading in this rocky mountain stream and I just remember I lost I lost feeling from my knees down pretty quickly and just was bound and determined I wasn't going to let on because I look over and Tom's just, you know, just another, another walk in the park to you. Um, man, I was, I, I think it took me an hour after we got out of that stream to, to get warm back up. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's something to be said for, getting really cold a few times in your life. And then, uh, you got some sort of gauge where you're like, okay, if I'm not that cold, I'm not in real danger. And then you don't worry about it and you can enjoy stuff. Uh, I do remember that river was, the water was cold. Um, I was really excited to see, uh, the little stonefly, uh, exoskeletons all over all the rocks. Yeah. Um, we got you your first trout. Uh, 
I tried to get one, but they, it was a pretty small pool. We were fishing. There was uh, big ripples above and below. So we were pretty limited and short on time. So luckily we, we, we found other spots to fish later, but, um, yeah, it's just one of those things where you know, I figured I'd feel my feet again in an hour or two. It wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> well, and I do remember you did finally. I, I like to. We we both caught our our trout. Neither one of oh. us got skunked. So no. Um, and I'm you know what I'm going to use that as a as a segue to talk a little bit more about fishing. But I, I there's one there's one little cap to this whole story that I just I just have to tell. So that we were we were actually going to we had planned on camping and and doing some more fishing but the the weather was not sounding too promising and as good of the a week as we had had i think between the two of us we just decided you know what a hotel room's not going to kill us uh, rather than trying to you know set up a tent knowing it's going to rain knowing we're going to have to pack a, a wet tent and smell you know wet stuff all the way back home um we ended up going to Sheridan and mm-hmm. we stayed in Sheridan that night. Um, and I just remember pulling into, if you were, I don't even know if you remember this or not, but I pulled into the gas station to fill up the goat hauler with gas. Cause we burned a lot of gas on that, on that back road. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh-huh. And I walked, I, I walked back and I flipped open the, the outer gas lid and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> And it literally took me, you know, 10 or 15 seconds to reach in and scrape all of the mud and the little pea gravel mm-hmm. <laughs> out from around the, the gas cap so I could take the gas cap off and put gas in the car without getting crud down in the in the fuel tank. And I think that was the second time I said, God, I hope they don't have GPS tracking on this vehicle. <laughs> but, but obviously they didn't. I'm not I'm – not, uh, I didn't have to pay for that car, so um, <laughs> could have been the most expensive hunting trip ever. <laughs> it definitely could have. So, uh, Tom, I think the the I know we both carried our our uh, or did we both carry fishing gear or was it just I think maybe I just had fishing gear. I know you fished with. I know you fished with my. We just basically traded the rod back and forth while we were fishing. So I honestly can't remember, and I don't I don't know that it matters. But you've been you've been fishing longer than you you've been hunting right oh yeah yeah yeah. years and years yeah you weren't allowed to hunt in the state of montana until you were 12 years old so probably about 12 years before that so how how'd you get how'd you get started fishing what's your what's your first your first memory of 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 catching a fish uh first memory of fishing First one that really stands out was uh, I was four years old and uh, on the ice on Foy's Lake with my dad. And so we're ice fishing for trout, and a guy parks his car next to ours and comes walking out. Which, you know, in retrospect, in the seventies, you know, that was just pretty rude. Like you give people plenty of space uh, when they're fishing. And he comes out with a camera and he takes a picture. It turned out he was with a local newspaper. And, uh, yeah, so made the front page. Not a whole lot going on that week, apparently. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so four years old, ice fishing on Foy's Lake. And I know I'd already caught fish before then. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know exactly when I started fishing. Sometime before the age of four. Um, yeah. That, definitely remember catching fish out of that. I don't know if it was that same winter or not, but um, yeah. Been so fishing I, a long time. I, I've never, I've never had the, uh, I've never had the opportunity to try ice fishing, but you know, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about just a few minutes ago about that whole cold, uh, <laughs> that whole cold thing. Um, uh-huh. but I think I'll have to try it one day, but you know, my, my, my first was, and I, I honestly don't remember and don't think I probably did go fishing that early. It was probably more like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, but you know, my, my first recollection was fishing with, um, uh, Zebco 202 push button mm-hmm. reel with, uh, a little bobber and probably, I don't know if it was crickets or earthworms or what, but, you know, just fishing in a, a local river that, that, uh, was near where I grew up. Um, and I do, I, I, I vividly remember that, you know, once the, the, the first time I caught a fish, it was like, you know, this is this is fun i want to do it more and um you know even when i couldn't do that i was i was making my own fishing gear using sewing uh sewing pins that my mother would would leave lying around or something i'd pick them up and bend them and find some thread and you know catch little suckers and and chubs out of a local creek whenever i could which usually meant i would pull them out of the water before they fell off and went back into the water but <laughs> Um, but yeah, had a lot of, had a lot of fun doing that. So, um, but now you, you, you mostly, you're mostly a fly fisherman now, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you still fish with spinning gear too? Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, took a little vacation out to, uh, the beach in North Carolina and did a little spinning gear, uh, for the surf. But, um, other than that, Pretty much been dedicated to fly fishing, I guess, my whole adult life. I, 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 you know, I've had a few occasions where I picked up a spinning rod, but it's not like I have anything against it. Um, but I just enjoy fly fishing. So um, you're not a you're you're not a fly fishing elitist snob. You just <laughs> <laughs> you just enjoy it more, right? Yeah. So I think. <laughs> I was just chatting with uh, one of the BHA board members about it, uh, fly fishing and fly fishing culture. And it's like, I love fly fishing and uh, some people who fly fish are a little hard to uh, bear sometimes. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I think, yeah, I think sometimes we make it way too hard. You know, it's take a little piece of feather and, tie it to a hook and try and fool the fish. I, I think, I think sometimes there's, uh, we don't need a, an internet of things to, to accomplish this. Now that can, that can be said for pretty much everything you, you do in the outdoors. I mean, uh, you know, can you, there's a, let's just say there's a lot of things that, that, outdoorsmen choose to spend money on when you get right down to it do you really need it Nah, maybe not but uh john john buchin was on uh 
on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him the same question about uh, our similar question about turkey and. You know, as it is, is you know, there's many gadgets for turkey hunting as there is for deer hunting, and and he he just said something like, you know, we 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 gotta have our tools. We love our gadgets, so you know, but I get, I definitely get what you're saying. I'm uh, so I do still have several uh, spinning rigs myself, and I've got a um, to me a, a very important reason why I have them and why I still use them. And that's, um, Bella, my daughter really loves getting out and trout fishing with, and most times she's, she hasn't graduated to, to fly fishing yet. I actually bought her a fly rod. I've, I've got it. I've got the line, I've got the reel and we just, um, her, her schoolwork and, and her focus on her education just takes all of her time right now. And we haven't had a time to, to get out there and do it, but, but we will, but as long as she wants to go and she can cast a, a spinning rod and wants to go, I, I'm going to keep spinning rods. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I said a few times, you know, I just pray someday I'm as good with my longbow as I am with my fly rod. Um, I think that, that fly fishing was that one of those things I, I truly mastered every aspect of it and I'm very comfortable with it. And, uh, I had a point, I, I had a great day and I, I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, okay, you know what, Tom, you've, you've done everything you've set out to do with flat rod, right? You turned your own rod you created a fly you know without a pattern or design from scratch to match something on the water you caught this great fish now what do you do and for a number of years i did not go fly fishing unless somebody said to me like oh you fly fish i've always wanted to like, okay and uh came up with a little program like, okay, we'll, we'll do some casting in the side yard. We'll talk about bugs a little bit. Like, you know, it's kind of like a two day thing, right? One day of prep, a few weeks to practice, uh, and then take somebody fishing. And I found that, you know, what I really loved was helping somebody catch their first trout. You know, it's far more rewarding than any trout I can catch for myself at this point. So I hope that, yeah, so got spinning rods, got fly rods. Um, I, I do enjoy it. I do love getting out. There's a few adventures that I, I really enjoy, um, you know, on the fishing front, but you know, the real, the real reward at this point for me with, with the fly rod is passing it along to somebody else. So, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to that. Um, because I actually, I want to hear more about kind of, you know, some, some, uh, dream fishing trips for, for Tom. I, myself, I consider myself an accomplished novice mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to, to, to fly fishing. I mean, the majority of my fly fishing has been limited to trout and, some panfish, some bass. I did catch one really big, um, sheep's head on a, on a fly rod 
many years ago, but, um, you know, I, I, everything, and I wished I, I wished I had found somebody like you when I was, when I was growing up, I, back to fur fishing game again that was the only magazine i could afford man i mean it was it was it was cheap it was entertaining and and i i kept myself subscribed in it for many years with my you know money i would get from my grandparents on my birthday and stuff like that but um i remember buying the worst fly fishing outfit it was probably not matched i didn't even have any idea of what what line weight was. So I, I, I bought it at a little store called Gibson's. It used to be a little department store where I grew up and it was, uh, it was a hideous thing. It was so heavy. Um, it's a wonder I ever learned how to cast the thing at all, but I did. And I remember, uh, wanted nothing more than to catch a, a trout on a fly rod. And I can tell you the first trout I caught, I still remember it. And it was 100% accident. I, I can tell you this. I was fishing a wet fly. Um, I remember I, I didn't know what I was doing, and all of a sudden I went to you know pull my line up because I was going to recast it, and I went, "Oh crap! <laughs> there's a fish on the end of it," and that was my that was my first trout with a fly rod. But I was I was definitely hooked, and I've caught I've caught a lot of them since then. But I'm definitely not in this in the position that it sounds like you've you've gotten to because I love doing it. Uh, I have tied a lot of flies myself um even even sold quite a few in years past never done the rod building thing though that's sure. that's never been something i probably would if i had the opportunity but it's never something i wanted to go out and, and kind of teach myself or learn how to do uh but i'll come back full circle. i ram I, I rambled there a little bit so um for for tom what are what are some what are some dream fishing trips i i guess i i kind of told you a couple of years back what my dream hunt would be and i gotta find a new one but what what's your what's your what's your dream fishing trip or trips so you know you get quite a bit of time to think about hunting pronghorn um probably the closest thing i have that i've done already in that regard was um pike fishing, northern pike with a fly rod. Uh, I had first looked at doing that, I think, around 1998, 1999. Uh, I caught a few, actually, in 98, uh, small ones from canoes in Idaho and Washington uh, with fly rods. But I kept hearing about these giant pike in the Arctic Circle. And it took a number of years, so something like 16 years later, 17 years later, um, I bumped into a guy who had been up several times uh, fly fishing for trophy northerns. And it was pretty funny. It was an interesting chit chat, you know, talking about, Oh, I fished for this and I fished for that. And I fished this river and I fished that river. And we're kind of going back and forth. And he's like, well, I bet I've done something you've never done. I've caught a pike on a fly rod. And I'm like, yeah, I've caught a few. And he's like, let me show you some pictures. And sure enough, I mean, the story he told and we booked up the trip. We ended up, you know, flying up to the Arctic circle 
and um, it's been a few days and he'd said something like, yeah, you know, you catch a hundred fish a day and you just try and pull your fly away from the little ones. You, you know, you don't want to touch anything under five pounds. Like you, you, it's more trouble than it's worth. And, uh, you know, you're really looking for 40 inches and it, it ended up being exactly what he said. I mean, I was blown away and we had, we had a great trip. Uh, you know, days were super long and you go out and start fishing early in the morning and be into them and be into them all day. And I'm sure, I'm sure I caught in the ballpark of a hundred pike a day. Um, I think around seven, you know, over 40 inches. Um, just incredible. So, you know, you had your pronghorn thing. Uh, for me, pike was that for a long time. Pike on a fly rod. I love the big toothy monsters. Um, I just love their voracious attack, especially on top water, uh, flies. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, that for me, was just incredible. Uh, and he asked me later if I wanted to go back and I, I, I said, no, you know, I, I think that was the perfect trip and I'll go fish for a lot of other things, but I don't think I'll go back for pike. I can't imagine anything ever being better. It's kind of like our pronghorn trip, right? I, I was just imagine ready to say that needing to do it again, you know, just it was so perfect. Why mess with it? And and I haven't ruled it. I haven't ruled it out yet. But to, I, I would I would have to agree with you right now. I'm. It's just not something that um, I, I'm kind of like you in a lot of ways. It was like that. That hunt was just. We're gonna have a hard time topping it. I'll be honest. That was that was just a great hunt. Yeah. A great adventure from start to finish. The hunting was kind of like a bonus to me, but, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I get that. Um, so since you, since you've done your, your pike, is there, is there something else on your list? All right. So barracuda, I've always wanted to catch a barracuda on a fly. So that's very high. That's, that's, that's my number one. Like I will get to that. Um, Peacock bass, like I grew up watching mm -hmm. bass fishing on Saturday mornings. Right. And every once in a while, there'd be a segment about peacock bass, and they've always fascinated me. So I'd be interested in doing that. You know, give me a call if you're interested. Um, looked at some trips to like trout in New Zealand or Argentina. You've never done it. It's fascinating. Um, it's Taipan, the one from Mongolia, the biggest trout. Mm -hmm. um, that's interesting. Um, probably the next thing that I will, you know, kind of exotic thing I'll go after will be uh, Barramundi um, in Australia. So I've got a, a hunt scheduled for next summer. And basically they're in all the, the river channels in the hunting area. So, so you're going to try to get a little hunt, a fishing in while you're out there hunting too. Yeah. So, you know, as a kid, we call it a cast and blast. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a, a great pond, uh, a backwater 
with uh, brook trout right next right. to where we camped for elk, uh, elk hunting. So the, yeah, the cast and blast. So this would be, you know, uh, longbow hunting. So there's, there's no blast, but, uh, yeah, I want, I want to try and catch some of these. See what they're all Very about. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. You got anything on your so, list? You know, yeah, I do have a few on my list. Um, they're probably going to seem a little boring um, compared to that list, but uh, I want to do. I want to do. I want to catch uh, salmon. I've never had a chance to to catch one. Um, really? Nope. And I figure that's. Uh, I know where I, I know where I can go and do that now. So it's just a matter of getting it scheduled. I just uh-huh. go go visit my good friend Tom. Yeah. Um, the other the other two that I guess I've I've wanted to to catch for a long time and I've just never had the chance. I'm actually kind of hoping to do the same thing as you and and make it part of a make it part of a hunt. But um, Grayling and Dolly Varden. Oh uh, yeah, would like to catch would like to catch both of those, but I would have to say salmon is probably at the, at the top of the list. The other two would be, again, if I got a chance to go hunt in an area that had them, I'd like to, I'd like to pursue them with a fly rod. I think, I think everybody should catch at least one Arctic grayling with a fly rod. I mean, if you if you're, if you're, if you're a backwood sort, like you should catch one. Um, I was lucky. I don't know if they still have them in Montana at this point or not, but uh, we did have a, some small, uh, high elevation populations available back then. Um, and Dolly Varden, man, I've, I've got some great stories about them. There's, I've checked the nomenclature. I, you know, sometimes they were called dollies, and sometimes they were called bull trout. They're definitely mm-hmm. char family, um, right? But, uh, yeah, yeah, boy, you know, you'd be doing some fishing with a streamer and something comes after your streamer and then something comes after the thing coming after your streamer and you're like, (laughs) it's on, it's bull trout time. Uh, Neat fish. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, we, we will have to, we'll have to get one or two of those penciled in sometime soon just because if if i didn't learn anything else from the antelope uh experience it is if you if you don't start if you don't make a plan you'll end up realizing it's been 34 years um so and speaking of that uh we do have our next big adventure um on the horizon uh we so we came back from the uh, and you may have actually already been doing this, but I'll say I came back from the from the antelope hunt in 2016, and I think one of the very first things I did was um, put in for preference points for, for mule deer and, and, and elk in, in Wyoming. But mm-hmm. um, So right now our, our plan is for mule deer back in Wyoming um, come, come last of August, 1st of September of this year. Yep. Yeah, pretty exciting. So – taken us a couple years to get the timing right but uh that's not too bad right i mean with all the stuff we have going on in our our professional lives and so forth i think every other year doesn't seem too bad Uh, we got a lot of points built up between us for uh 
deer and elk, and I think some moose. Um, I think the, the the fun thing about this one, I you know, we can tip our hand a little bit. So uh, we have a do-it-yourself backcountry trip. We get to succeed or fail on our own accord. And I'm pretty pumped. I mean, I'm really excited about this trip. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. In fact, I, I think, uh, you wrote a, a, a little post on your, your blog the other day. I'm, I'm having a hard time containing myself. So, um, picked up my, my, uh, binoculars this week. Mm-hmm. Um, really excited about those and, and I'm actually kind of going through the paces on those and 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 I'm planning on writing a review um, they're the the maven um, b2 11 by 45s and I can already tell you I just I love them um, so yeah I, and uh, sleeping gear and and clothing I already started buying some of that that I know because we're I think the when we were doing our our preliminary uh, uh, online scouting we're we're pretty much looking at somewhere between six and 10 miles from where we'll park the vehicle as far as where we're actually planning to, to hike into. Is that, yeah. is that do I remember correctly there? Sounds about right. Yeah. I think the very closest was somewhere around six. Uh, and then the big question kind of turns into, you know, what other people are in there and what the, the human impact is. Uh, just right. how far we'll need to go to get away from that. So, yeah, we should be should be a whole lot of fun. Well, I think what what we probably should do, Tom, is and I've you know I've been writing some things on on some articles on on my website, and I know you've got some out there as well. But you know, maybe sometime in the next month or two, we can um, we can collaborate. Just plan on actually getting together on a podcast to kind of talk about, you know, I mean, we could talk about everything from equipment choices, the, the what, when, and why, and so forth. And again, without, without giving away, you know, too much information, kind of, you know, talking about what our plan is, because my, my plan is right now that I will be carrying, you know, the recording equipment, um, mm-hmm. uh, at least a recorder so that we can actually record some of these while we're, while we're in the back country, which I think would, you know, be pretty cool and possibly some video too, but we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. So, uh, I think that, I think that'd be good for, for people kind of like me that, you know, this is a, a completely new adventure. I've, I've never done it before. So what better way to, to, to help others than, than kind of go through the steps that you're going through and maybe help them avoid some of the pitfalls that I'm sure we may and may encounter along the way. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. I'd be uh, very happy to help with that. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, good deal. Well, Tom, I think we're, we're probably at a, a good place to, to wrap this one up. Um, Thank you again for for hopping on here with me tonight. Um, we're gonna have to figure out a way to get the timing right to get um, me, you, and and Nick on here all at once. And I'm um, I'm actively working. I've got um, I've got a a, a few uh, guests lined up. Just got to get the the time right to to get them on the on the show. And and maybe if uh, depending on on how the the chips lay there, it may be something that that either you want to join in or 
or maybe it's something that you know Nick may not be so interested in and, and you can you can step in and and help me out with that interview so uh, I'm sure people will be be hearing from you again real soon oh I'd be happy to uh, let me know like I said whenever the schedule works out I'm I'd love to join in and and uh, participate so sounds like fun all right man well thank you again so much and with that we will call it a night and wrap this one up so long everyone <laughs>